Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have any questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Well, I am uh, grateful to see you again this morning. It's as if I just saw you for several days this week. Can't get away from you. That's so good. I'm grateful uh, for your willingness to prioritize time uh, together seeking the Holy Spirit. Uh, This week you did that. Um, As a quick side note here, many of you know that Pastor Dan had um, hip surgery on Friday. He is at home. He is doing well. Um, He is doing very, very well. So we ask for continued prayer over his recovery and his restoration. We're grateful for um, God working in his life through the hands of doctors and nurses and medicine. We're grateful for that this morning. Um, I do think it's more than appropriate uh, today to take time celebrating a bit of what God did, what he's doing, um, and then continually to anticipate and eagerly seek what he is going to do in the days ahead. Um, I spoke with many of you. I spoke with the staff. Uh, The overwhelming um, message in what I heard was that during Grow 23, um, God, through the power of His Spirit, worked in our hearts this way, or this this last week in a a powerful way. Um, If you were here, you know that we experienced some rich moments in worship, calling out to God, singing His praises, seemingly with abandonment. Caleb already mentioned that this morning, but personally... I will tell you that in the 10 years I have been here, I have never witnessed our church sing like that before. So you blessed me in your willingness to praise God with everything in you. Uh, Keep it up. Don't stop. Don't stop. There's a reason that the Israelites sent out the musicians and the singers before battle. Because they knew the God in which they served was on their side. And so they praised Him. Uh, Every evening, God met with people in a personal way, whether it was here at the altar, um, throughout this room. You know, we don't all get to be a part of all of those prayers and all of those moments of calling out to God, but rest assured, uh, burdens were laid down this week. Sins were confessed. Recommitments were made. Faith was affirmed. People asked to be empowered by the Spirit to live powerfully obedient lives. I heard from several parents uh, this week that their kids practically dragged them out of the house because they didn't want to miss what they were experiencing in Summit Kids this week. Our kids' team, alongside of Rod Snow, um, taught on and invited the kids into a deeper understanding of God's Spirit, as we were doing as well. Um, Several kids uh, throughout the week responded to that invitation, your children. And although there were no first-time commitments that we know of to Christ, many parents during Grow acknowledged that something really clicked for their kids. They were coming away with a deeper understanding of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, led by His Spirit. Wednesday evening was a powerful time in the Word. It was so encouraging uh, to be joined by our youth and our preteen students as well, was it not? 
Uh, We heard testimonies from young and from old about the faithfulness of God and the powerful work of His Spirit in their lives. Our mission for GROW, our goal was to seek God's Holy Spirit together. Surely we did that. Surely we did that. But listen, that journey is not over. That journey is not over. Those four days may have come to an end, but do not believe that 96 hours can box in the Holy Spirit. Do not believe that. Church, we are just getting started. Will you have the shameless audacity to keep knocking on that door? Will you have enough divine curiosity to see where the Spirit is working and jump at the opportunities to join Him in that work? As we lead people to follow Christ, church, in these days, it is imperative that we seek the Spirit together, continually. Okay, all right. I do want to remind you that as we enter Holy Week um, about our Good Friday walkthrough experience, another way to seek God's Spirit together. Um, This year, we're actually going to be open on Thursday evening this year, um, as well as Friday early morning and then Friday afternoon as well. You can see those times. This is an experience. This Good Friday walkthrough is an experience that we encourage you to bring your families to. Um, It is a self-led Stations of the Cross type experience, considering the, the great burden and sacrifice that Christ bore for us on the cross. Okay, communion will be an element that is, pre- that is present as well. Um, you can find, again, the times and details for that on the app if, uh, if you forget. Um, next Sunday morning, um, we'll then celebrate Easter morning, that blessed, that blessed day of our Savior's resurrection, proving victory over sin and death, that we might receive His righteousness and be restored unto him who loved us. That's next Sunday morning. We'll have three services, 8, 30, 10, uh, and 11 a.m. All right, let's, let's pray again. Holy Spirit, we seek you now through your word. Carry us today, challenge us, refine us, help us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'll encourage you to turn in your Bibles to John 12 today to John 12. And I will warn you (laughs) that the Word is not going to let us off easy this morning. Indeed, it is Palm Sunday, the week before Easter, as Jesus begins His trek into Jerusalem to be delivered into the hands of men. And leading up to this, The tension has been building. Followers of Jesus are increasing. The Jewish leaders are growing weary of his influence among the people, and they haven't been able to defeat him in debate or trap him in a religious dilemma. Jesus has performed miracles. He's introduced a new way to understand God's law, and they feel their authority and control is slipping away. Uh, Phil Wickham recently released a new song called Sunday is Coming, and I think it opens with an apt description of the scene. A great light dawns in Galilee. Some say madman, some say king. Wonder-working rebel priest, Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Right before our passage today, Jesus 
has brought Lazarus back to life. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they've had enough. They're out to kill Jesus now. And so for a time, Jesus retreats to the wilderness with his disciples, out of sight, away from the mob that desires to put him to death. However, the Passover festival is approaching, and they knew that Jesus must head back to Jerusalem at some point. They assumed he would. And so they've given instruction that anyone who knew where he was to report it so that they might seize him. We're going to pick up our passage now in John 12, um, in verse 1, as Jesus arrives uh, in Bethany. This is a small village outside of Jerusalem on the west bank of the Dead Sea in Jordan River is uh, Bethany. So John chapter 12, verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Verse 12, the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met with him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you're accomplishing nothing, saying this to each other. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord for us today. I want to give you the bottom line up front today so that there might be no missing it. And this is it. The Spirit-filled Christian life is solely focused on worshiping the one true King, Jesus. The Spirit-filled Christian life is solely focused on worshiping the one true King, Jesus. That's the bottom line. Now, here's the application. Authentic worship is allegiance of the heart on display through surrender and obedience. The Spirit-filled Christian life is solely focused on worshiping the one true King, Jesus. 
And authentic worship is allegiance of the heart on display through surrender and obedience. Now, we'll build up to that, but sometimes I think it's good to know the destination before we start weaving our way through Scripture. So in light of those two things, it was important for us to begin before the triumphal entry with the, with the anointing at Bethany that we might draw a contrast and a comparison uh, between three parties that are seen in this gospel account. So let's dive right in. The anointing at Bethany. Jesus is here at dinner with many people. His disciples are most likely all there. Mary and Martha, Lazarus, most likely others as well. And at some point during the evening, Mary, whom we know loves Jesus, takes something extremely valuable, a fancy oil of sorts, perfume, and she pours it out over the feet of Jesus, begins wiping his feet with her hair. Scripture says, anointing him. Now Judas is beside himself. We know for selfish reasons, but he attempts to appeal to Jesus out of concern for the poor. For the perfume was, was worth 300 denarii, and at that time, a year's wages. That's a lot of money, and it could have been used to care for those who were in, who were in need. Now, Judas was the handler of the, the money for that small band of followers, and being the embezzler that he was... He was burning inside as he watched the opportunity to fatten his accounts being poured out on Jesus' feet. So responding then to Judas' appeal, Jesus not only dismisses his concern, but he commends Mary by revealing the deeper meaning of her actions, that in reality she was honoring and recognizing his glory, symbolically even preparing him for his impending death and burial. Now, what I find fascinating in this text, as I read that this week, and I felt like God zeroed me in on this, is that even though Scripture reveals Judas's true motive, and undeniably, Jesus knew this as well, by the way, Jesus still used Judas's moral concern for the poor as the launching pad for the real focus and concern of our faith. Verse 7, do you catch it? But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now, was Jesus endorsing unnecessary poverty or making less of the righteous work of caring for those in need? By no means. But Jesus is communicating two things with this statement here. First, if you actually cared about the poor, Judas you will always have the opportunity to serve and to care for them. But more importantly, and this is the emphasis, Jesus is highlighting that which is to be the focus of a believer's life. A life that pleases God is not one of striving for moral righteousness. It is one of authentic worship. So although his, not his real concern, Judas's fake moral appear, appeal to care for the poor almost comes out as an attempt to impress Jesus, it seems, or at minimum of chastising of Mary, as if he has reached some level of understanding or, or moral superiority that she doesn't possess. Now let's look at those two ideas quickly, impressing Jesus or chastising Mary. This first one, impressing Jesus with good works or philanthropic ideas or religious attentiveness. To comment on this, I'm simply going to read a bit from Romans chapter 3. What shall we conclude then? 
Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. We cannot impress Jesus with our good works or our religious attentiveness. Now, this other idea, chastising Mary, it's like Judas Judas is being snooty, elevating himself above her, lays out what she should have done And we often see this as the gateway to progressive thinking in Christianity. Too many believers begin to put distance between themselves and other believers because they have the loving others thing figured out. But what starts as a be better crusade eventually becomes a distancing from the truth of God's Word because they elevate being better in the name of love over worshiping the King through obedience to His Word. In contrast, while Judas is busy virtue signaling about the poor, Mary is at Jesus' feet literally pouring out herself, pouring out her worship, sacrificially giving of herself and of what she has. A life that pleases God is not one of striving for moral righteousness. It is one of authentic worship. You see, no respectable Palestine woman would ever have let her hair down in public. This was the sign of an immoral woman. But Mary, not being held back by the constraints of culture and expectation, vulnerably and authentically worships at Jesus' feet. For Mary loved Jesus so much that there was nothing, that it was nothing to her what others thought. How many of you have that type of freedom in your worship? Mary loved Jesus so much that it was nothing to her what others thought. I think we tasted some of that freedom in our worship this last week. By worship, I'm not just talking about Sunday morning singing, although that very much does apply. Mary was so caught up in the glory of Jesus that she was willing to lay down any need to be viewed in a specific way and lived unashamedly for the name of Jesus. That is a spirit-filled life. Further proof of this in another gem of this passage is in verse 3. The house was filled with the fragrance of the ointment. Did you catch that? The house was filled with the fragrance of the ointment. There was no hiding it. Her worship had an effect on the entire household. And all present knew of her sacrificial gift. Furthermore, some commentators, knowing John's tendency to somewhat lay out double meanings in his gospel, say that this line was not only evidence of him, John, being there, 
but that it communicates the notion that the whole church, the body of believers, have been filled with the sweet memory of Mary's action. That she chose worship over moral righteousness. The contrast of Judas and Mary in this passage could not be more evident. A life that pleases God is not one of striving for moral righteousness. It is one of authentic worship. Let's jump forward now to the triumphal entry, the next part of our passage. This time to get another contrast to Mary. But this time it's in misguided worship. So Jesus has now set his sights on Jerusalem. He's going to enter the city. The tension and excitement that I referenced at the beginning of this uh, message is now coming to a boiling point. A boiling point. So not only is there a great crowd within the city who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover, and some estimate uh, some estimates put it near three million, but there is also a large number of people who had been following and traveling with Jesus. Those who had witnessed the raising of Lazarus and his other miracles, and so now these two groups of people converge together, and the scene culminates around the focal point of Jesus entering the city. So no doubt there are many there out of curiosity, spectators of something shiny. Surely there were others there that were out of their love. They were there out of their love for Jesus. And it is probable indeed that there were those somewhere in between, seeking something deeper, yet also easily swayed by the voices that yelled the loudest. So as Jesus rides into the city, they give him a king's welcome. They lay down palm branches and they form a joyous gathering and they're shouting out praises and exultations towards Jesus. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel! Save us! Save us now, O mighty King and Conqueror! See, the people are quoting from the Jewish scriptures, Psalm 118, what every young Jewish boy would have memorized. This was the declaration and the hope of the coming Messiah, God's anointed one. And Psalm 118 was typically known as the conqueror's psalm. So the excitement is building within the crowd, the song of praise gathering voices as those who were there picked up the tune. Who was Was this the one? Was this the Messiah? The one who would deliver them from every other nation? The one who would overthrow the oppressive regime of the Romans? The one to rightly restore victory to the Jewish nation as had been seen in the days of old? The God of Abraham and Isaac that had once sent trembling fear into opposing nations? The time has come, they thought, to exercise our religious living. You see, the people thought their Messiah would come on their behalf to establish a new political and economic order that would make Israel dominant among the nations. He was the hoped-for Messiah, yes. He was the coming conqueror, yes. But the rule and reign he came to topple was their own. The real regime that needed overthrowing was their very hearts, for who else sat on that throne but themselves? You see, God's people were still choosing themselves over Him. And a life that pleases God is not one of striving for religious control. It is one of authentic worship. 
They weren't worshiping him. They wanted to advance their ideas because their hearts were still full of sin. They were unable to live up to the standard, unable to fulfill the law and his perfect calling on their lives to be set apart. Jesus came to put an end to all of that, to defeat the enemy that is sin. And in a scandal of grace that only God could pull off, the enemy that he came to remove, you, was the enemy that he came to save. That hit me hard this week. The enemy that God came to remove was the enemy that he came to save. You and I. And he accomplished it not through a conquering fist, but a loving, sacrificial payment of death. For God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? This is why Jesus came, to overthrow the grip of sin and evil in the hearts of men and rightly restore his creation unto himself, that we would be saved from sin, not empowered to advance our own will. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not power to fulfill our agenda. It is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The crowds exalted Jesus, yes, but like Judas, they also lacked authentic worship, for they were consumed with empowering the Jewish nation rather than surrendering their hearts to their Savior. A life that pleases God is not one of striving for religious control. It is one of authentic worship. Today's message is going to be a little bit shorter. I think that's fine and that's appropriate. But I think it's still just as poignant. I want to jump to some application this morning. The reality is that our fleshly tendencies, church, can push us towards a moral righteousness or an attempt to harness the power of the gospel to fulfill our agenda. However, both gravely miss the mark in our false perceptions of a life that honors God. If you are a Christian and you believe that our primary goal is to establish conservative principles as the law of the land and that anyone in the way of that is the enemy, you need to repent and worship the king. Please hear me, church. I am not downplaying the need to critically think and implement policy that actually helps people and clearly outlines right and wrong in this world. What I am calling out is an idolatry of religious control. The false idea that as believers, our main goal is to take back political territory in the name of Jesus. Idolatry is an issue of worship. 
for our heart's allegiance can only rest in one place. If you're a Christian and believe that your dedication to moral good or your concern for the social outcasts of our day achieves for you a righteousness that others don't have, you need to repent and worship the King. Hear me, church. I am not downplaying that which Jesus called us to, loving others by serving them. What I am calling out is the emptiness of a social gospel. The false idea that the betterment of society equals salvation, that people are basically good and we're gradually becoming more moral. If we feed enough people, educate enough children, dig enough wells, and redistribute enough wealth, then we will see God's kingdom manifest. If we preach enough love, justice, brotherhood, and goodwill towards men, then the remnants of greed and selfishness in mankind will be overwhelmed and give way to goodness. The reality is that as social needs are emphasized as the primary essence of our faith, the doctrines of sin, salvation, heaven, and hell, and the future kingdom of God are downplayed, and all of which are issues of worship and authority. A life that pleases God is not one of striving for moral righteousness or religious control, for both of them are false gospels. Let me put it this way. It might be easier to remember. The gospel plus anything is not the gospel. The gospel minus anything is not the gospel. The gospel minus the substitutionary atonement is not the gospel. Meaning, your salvation was bought at a price. Jesus' blood on the cross fulfilling the wrath of God against sin. The gospel plus religious control is not the gospel. The gospel plus moral righteousness is is not the gospel. As we walk through life and we follow Jesus and we we live a testimony of, of what God has done in our life and we preach the gospel, you need to have filters And you need to understand as we walk farther away from the truth of God's Word that the gospel plus anything is not the gospel, and the gospel minus anything is not the gospel. Now, maybe you don't find yourself in either of those places this morning that I mentioned, but you and the Lord know And I and the Lord know where it is in my life and where it is in your life that you have yet to worship Him. What corner of your heart that you haven't surrendered to Him. The Spirit-filled Christian life is solely focused on worshiping the one true King, Jesus. Chuck, you keep saying it's not these things, it's about worship instead. It's about worship. What exactly are you talking about? I'm talking about abandoning yourself. I'm talking about abandoning your ideas and abandoning your will and your agenda, your good works, your sin, your keeping up appearances, your desires and and aspirations, your opinions on what's happening in this country. I'm talking about worship. I'm talking about hitting your knees before God, saying, Lord, fill me with your spirit that you might change my heart, transform me from the inside out, that I might image your son to those around me.
Do you want to know what worship is? Authentic worship is the allegiance of your heart on display through surrender and obedience. Surrendering your desires and your motives, living in obedience to His Word, letting Him change you from the inside out as you worship Him with your heart, the very center of your being. That is the primary focus of our faith. Obviously, this is very closely tied to the idea of repentance. Our memory verse from a few weeks ago, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We cannot think that repentance is necessary only for salvation and then walk in a way post-salvation without repentance. God calls us to surrender and worship Him, and that includes repentance. Asking God to reveal those places in our life that we have not yet yielded to Him as a matter of worship and surrender and authority. The Spirit-filled Christian life is solely focused on worshiping the one true King, Jesus. Do you want to change things around you? Do you want things around you to change? Start here. Start here. Jesus' gospel changes people's hearts through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. And as hearts change, the world will change. I want to invite the worship team. They're going to help us as we close our time together. Maybe during Grow, you felt like you missed it. You expected some movement or feeling from God and it didn't happen. And while we were begging and pleading with God to manifest His presence among us, one, we don't have to stop that. Continue to do that. Continue to beg and plead with earnest expectation that God would, would come and meet us in a special and powerful way. But that does not mean that God was not at work through His Spirit in our, in our times together this week. Gerald reminded us on that, on that Wednesday evening that when we receive Christ as our Savior, when we repent and believe, we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same Spirit that lives in and works through us. So maybe you came to grow and you didn't, didn't see or want, experience what you would hope to experience or, or see what you would hope to see. Again, while we're not after a feeling, we're after the filling. Maybe it's because you haven't yet made room for the Spirit. How do you make room for the Spirit? By shifting authority from yourself to God. You surrender and obey. That is authentic worship. Judas missed it. The crowds missed it, but Mary got it. 
sacrificially she gave of herself and what she had in worship. And what she got in return was intimacy with Jesus. What she got was a thousand times better than what she gave up. I want, to, I want you to bow your heads in these moments. With your heads bowed, I want to make an invitation. Not in an attempt to, to recreate or manufacture anything, but church, we are learning to use the altar again. We are learning to use the altar again, and this one is open. Whether you have unfinished business with the Lord from Grow, whether you need to repent, or you need to abandon yourself and ask God to fill you with His Spirit and change your heart, this altar is open. And so we're going to tarry. We're going to wait. Debbie's just going to play for a little bit. know that there is always an open invitation to respond to the Word of God and to the prompting of His Spirit to pray, whether that's by yourself or if you need to grab a brother or sister in Christ to pray with you. So we're going to worship, we're going to sing, and you respond in our closing time the way that God calls you to respond. Lord Jesus, we, God, we confess our heart's desire and the fact that because of our flesh, we are easily distracted by our own, our own agenda, our own thoughts, our desires. God, you came to put an end to all of that. You came to change us by the power of your spirit because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. You, you have brought newness to us so that the old can, can pass away and that the new can come. And that newness of life is, is one that is a reflection of, of Jesus and, and his desires and his, his longings and, and his purpose and his vision and the way he responds and reacts and what breaks his heart and the things that he wants to move and advance forward. God, we want that in our lives. God, we're going to need your help by the power of your spirit to do that. God, thank you for your grace that has already moved in effect in our lives, that you have already been doing that. And by your spirit, you are sanctifying us day by day, making us more like your son. God, we continually surrender ourselves to you. God, we are thankful for, for the for the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus that has brought us into a, a right relationship with you, that because of that, one day we will stand before you and you will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You can, we're we're going to say, you can let me in because I'm with him. 
I'm with Jesus. But God, in the meantime, as you have made us holy, but we're still being made holy, we need your help on this side of heaven. So God, continually call us to yourself. We'll surrender to you. Change us, God, from the inside out. We'll give you all the praise and the glory. We'll worship you, attributing authority to you. We ascribe all your praise. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have any questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.